When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Keep or Cut podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. We are coming at you with episode 96, which, Chad, we are we're marching towards 100, and now we've got four more to go after this one, which is getting really exciting. Um, before I forget to say this, please uh, leave us ratings, reviews, all that stuff. I love to read the Apple reviews. We haven't had one in a while, so please shout us out on there. Uh, follow Chad at, at Chad Young. If you decide you want to follow me, you can follow me at, at Pete B Baseball and definitely follow the show at, at Keep or Cut. Tweet us your questions. We're always looking for some good keeper questions. So, Chad, episode 96, we're almost there, man. Almost. Just keep keep inching our way ever closer to that that century mark. Yeah, it's going to be a hell of an episode. We'll uh, we'll have to come up with something fun for that. Maybe it's a mailbag. Get our listeners involved in such an important milestone, but uh, we'll see. Uh, as usual, we're going to come at you guys with a lot of the news and notes and stuff that have happened. Not a lot has happened since the last time we recorded because we recorded just, uh, I don't know, two, three days ago. Um, but as usual, we're going to try to connect what we have uh, or what's happened in the news to your Keeper Leagues, to your new Leagues. And let's just jump right in with some awesome news that um, is not only awesome for just because it's awesome, but it's also really awesome for Mr. Young here because Chad has a lot of shares of this individual. And oh my God, do they need him back so badly? And that is <laughs> Liam Hendricks is cancer free of the Chicago White yeah. Sox. So Chad, what do we got? Yeah, I mean, I, obviously the, the the biggest thing here is not my you know heavy investment in Liam Hendricks. It's just like... <laughs> By all accounts, he's a good dude, and I, I'm, you know, happy for him. Like that, this is this is great news, right? Anytime anybody beats something like this, it's just it's just good. So, yeah, I mean, from a, from a baseball perspective, goodness, I really thought like Ronaldo Lopez was really good last year. I thought he'd be good again this year, and uh, he hasn't. <laughs> um, I I've got him in my CBS head to head league. And I think I'm just going to have to find someone else for now. Cause it ain't working. He got, he got walked off by the Rays today, which I mean, no shame in that the Rays are destroying everyone, but still the, the Sox blew, I think a five run lead. Is that right? They had a five run lead that they blew against the Rays. So yeah, getting Liam Hendricks back would, uh, that would be good. I think from a fantasy perspective, like if he's still out there in your leagues, go pick him up. Like he, you know, this is like a weird thing, but like there've been a bunch of videos of him, like he, that have been passed around because he was like, he was like ringing the cancer free bell at wherever he's been, you know, getting treatment and stuff. And he's not only is he announcing he's cancer free, like he looks healthy. Like he doesn't, he doesn't look like he's been through a, and, and I'm not saying this to suggest this has been easy on him or anything like that, right? I'm sure it's been not pleasant. But he doesn't look like he's 
weak and, you know, dealing with the, the side effects of all the things that can happen when you're fighting cancer and months and months and months away from being back in game shape. Like he, he kind of looks like he's ready to go. No, that doesn't mean he is ready to go, but I think he's going to be back sooner than later. Like, I, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but this strikes me as the kind of thing that like, the next announcement could be that he's going to extended spring training and should be ready in like three weeks, two weeks, right. From whenever he starts, like it, it just, it doesn't have to be that it could, it could also be, he's got other things going on and he's taking the rest of the season off. Right. Like that may be the personal decision that he makes that the team makes or whatever. Like that's fine. Um, but I think there's a chance that if you pick him up now, if he's available, you could have an elite closer on your hands, you know, before the all-star break for sure. So I'm, I'm glad I've got him where I've got him. If I, if there's places where he's still available, which I'm not really sure exists, but if there are, I, I would go get him. Yeah. Liam Hendricks last season, uh, the, he had a 2.81 ERA, all the ERA estimators backed it up. As we know, he's been one of the more elite options at the position for quite some time. Uh, that was a 13.27 strikeouts per nine last year. So Liam Hendricks, obviously, uh, if he is returning soon, there is no timetable, but like you said, Chad, you know, hopefully this is just a couple weeks of, of rehab and then he's back out there. He's going to slip right back into that role. And now in your keeper leagues, or even in your new leagues, if he was at auction, you you have a extremely well priced, whether it's round value or salary value, Liam Hendricks. Um, that is just a fact. So, I imagine he's going to be a keeper in a lot in a lot of keeper leagues going into next season, and I'm hoping for him. I'm hoping the best for him this year. I look forward to him taking the mound and seeing that. Uh, elsewhere in the news, uh, we got Max Scherzer suspended, which is not you know super important for keeper leagues, but um, just what the heck's going on there, Chad? Like. Why, why, you know what I'm going to say, we get a Yankee, you got the same problem. He just goes and washes his hands. He comes back, doesn't get suspended. He was pitching today. And now we get someone who's not a Yankee and he's thrown out of the game. I mean, come so, on. So, so apparently both Herman and Scherzer got the same direction, which was go wash your hands and get this stuff off. And the difference is that Herman came back clean because he washed his hands and sure. Scherzer came back and supposedly his hands were stickier than ever. Um, and I, I'll say, I find this. Um, so Scherzer made a bunch of like, there was like a statement. Boris made a statement on his behalf and Scherzer said something about how like, if there's a suspension, he's going to handle it as a legal issue, not as a like league issue or whatever. Like he made like a big deal out of this. And then the suspension got handed down. And he was, he didn't appeal it. He was just like, yeah, I thought I might have a chance to see. He, he made some, something about how like he thought he had a chance to see an independent arbiter or something like that, but it was gonna be before the league. So why waste his time? Um, I, you know, maybe Max Scherzer off the field is different than Max Scherzer on the field, but like Scherzer is not the kind of guy who backs away from a fight. And while we know that on the field for sure, he's also like, one of the leaders in the players union, right? Like we know that he is willing to stand up to and fight with MLB and MLB owners. And so I'll be honest. My take on this is I think he was cheating. <laughs> like, I think he knew what he was doing and I think he got caught and I think he made a big stink about it. 
And then once the suspension got handed down, he was like, oh, I don't want to appeal this. Like the last <laughs> thing he wants now is for more discussion of it, more evidence of it. Like, I think he decided, eh, I got caught. I'm moving on. So now yeah. I don't think he was cheating in some like extreme way. I think like apparently he had rosin in his glove and like you can have rosin on your hands to dry them, but you're not supposed to have so much that it makes your hand sticky and you're not allowed to have it in your glove where you could like apply it to your hand during the picture, whatever. So I, I think he was breaking the rules and he, he knows it and either he knew it at the time or he sat down with whether it was Boris or someone else in his team, whatever he sat down with someone and was like, this is what happened. This is ridiculous. And whoever he said that to was like, uh, dude, you're wrong. And if you try to fight this, you're going to lose. So take the L and move on. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I, I think I hesitate to use the word cheating, even though I guess that's what it is because it's yeah, so many, I, he broke the rules. He broke the rules. Sure. So many parts of this process are just so arbitrary, right? And the fact that it's been the same umpire who has uh, thrown out all three pitchers um, who have been ejected for this uh, over the last two years. I can't remember his name, but um, Phil, that, Cuzzy. That, Phil Cuzzy there. It's like, that's, that's a little weird to me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Cuzzy, but why is he enforcing it? And clearly other umpires are not. And uh, it, it, there's too many parts of it that just seem so arbitrary. And now you've lost Max Scherzer for 10 days. Um, if you're the Mets and that's a rotation that really can't take a lot of hits. So for fantasy managers, good luck streaming next week. Cause you will be without Max Scherzer. Um, Garrett Mitchell is having shoulder surgery. Uh, a lot of people were excited about him going into the year, particularly a little bit of a speed threat outfielder there for the Brewers who are on fire. Although they did lose to the Red Sox tonight. Um, any thoughts there on Garrett Mitchell? If you've got, uh, let me throw a real tangible situation at you here, Chad. If you have a $4 Garrett Mitchell in Ott new, is he cut? I think he is. I, I, I don't, I don't see Garrett Mitchell particularly in Ott new, but in general, like I don't see him as a, an elite prospect. I think he's a good prospect, but I think there's probably in any auto new league you're in 10, solid double a prospects who could be in the bigs as soon as Mitchell at this point. And so I, I don't, I, I don't think he is someone you need to hold on to. Fair enough. I, I would advise you and uh, those of you in category leagues, if you did lose Mitchell, cause you're in a pretty deep league, if you're rostering Garrett Mitchell, sure. um, if it's not too late, go scoop up Jaron Duran. Um, I talked about his swing change before the season started and uh, he's locked in every game he's played with the Red Sox so far. He's hit a double. Um, I don't know if he actually, I don't know if he got a double tonight, but I know he had two hits and I know he had an RBI. He's been on fire. Um, so he's worth a target. He has a real tangible change to maybe get excited about. So I think he'd be a, I think he would replace what you're hoping to get out of Mitchell. Um, I just want to kind of hear we're right now, just so we, oh, can, right, let, we can put this straight, right? Five straight doubles or not. What do we got? Two for four. There was not a double. Ah, bummer. Just right. just a couple of singles. But He's two for four, he had a run. He had an RBI. He didn't steal any bases, though. One of those, uh, R, that, that RBI came from an infield hit to third, kind of showcasing that speed. He is just a, a beast or a potential beast. So go and get him to replace Mitchell. Chad, I want to hear you talk, talk a little bit about the I want to talk a little bit about the Brewers real quick. This is such a yeah. rant. It's like a side note. But the Brewers, as you said, they, they, are, they lost today to your beloved Red Sox. 
but they're 14 and six now. Like they've been excellent. I know. I know. And yet I look at their lineup and it's like, Yelich has been fine. Winker's been getting on base, but has like not has like negative power right now. Willie Adamas has been wonderful. And you know how that makes me feel. Um, Telez hasn't been anything special. William Contreras has been solid, but not great. Brian Anderson has been a surprise. Like what? I don't know. I, I look at this team and I'm like, nobody on this team really looks like they're doing that well. It's not like I look at this team and I'm like, like you look at the Rays, right? And the Rays, I think, are now 16 and three or something like that. They're only like a 17. couple games ahead of yeah. the Brewers. 17, right? Maybe the three games out of the Brewers now. But like, if I was like, who's who's hitting well on the on the Rays right now? It's it's everyone. Their entire team is just killing the ball. And yet I look at the Brewers and it's like they just look like their lineup just looks like a totally mediocre team. <laughs> And yet they're yeah. performing really well. So, and they've yeah. they've also had guys missing games. Uh, I know Winkers yeah. missed a little bit. Uh, it's their pitching. I mean, they they have the second best ERA sure. by staff in in baseball, and that's even with you know Burns clearly struggling. Woodruff Woodruff out. is hurt. Burns is struggling. Like <laughs> like it and just it's a, it's a it's crazy a, situation with that team. Some regression could be coming. Three point oh two ERA as a as a staff, but a three point four one FIP and a three point no, I'm sorry, four point two two FIP and four point three nine X FIP. So some regression could be coming for yeah. the Brewers. But yeah, it's weird. It's weird. The Red Sox will put them in their place. Though, don't worry. Um. <laughs> so next up, Chad, I want to hear you talk about Logan Allen. I scooped him up and I actually dropped Tanner in Bybee. Is that it, Bybee? Yeah. Okay, so I dropped Tanner Bybee to pick up Logan Allen in a, a shallow keeper. I, I call it shallow. I mean, it's a 16-team league, but we only keep three, so there wasn't a whole lot of incentive to hold on to any kind of prospect that hasn't been called up. I wanted some immediate impact. Did I make a mistake? Is there anything to be excited about in regards to Logan Allen? I mean, I, yes, there's stuff to be excited about. Whether or not you made a mistake, um, I would guess that a year from now, one year from today, given the choice of, of Bobby or Allen, uh, Allen's not the one you're going to want. But will you get it? Will they be close enough? And will you get enough value between now and then to justify it? Possibly. I mean, I think Allen is, he's a weird one because his fastball, based on everything I've read, is like fine. It's not anything special, but he's got a He's got a, a bunch of secondaries, a really good, I think his slider is more of a sweeper. Um, and he's got a really good splitter. And he has some, as I understand it, some like deception in his pitching. And so I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what he can do. I do sort of wonder if he's the kind of guy who's going to be successful right away because of that deception. And then once there's a little bit more film on him and guys are a little more comfortable with him, they're gonna be like, ah, okay, I see what you're doing, right? That said, I thought that about Nestor Cortez when he was breaking out, and turns out he's still good. So I still uh, think that about him, but <laughs> I it's true. I, I can't not think that about him because you see him pitch and he looks <laughs> like like he he acts on the mound like he's a bad pitcher just trying to get by. And he's not, right? I'm not saying that because he is that, but that's what he acts like <laughs> to me. Um, and so I have a hard time like wrapping my head around the fact that he doesn't, he's just good. But yeah. I mean, having said that about Allen, like it is, it is a little hard to get a read on him because, you know, usually with these prospects, you're like, he's throwing 99 and he's got this nasty, fat. Like, that's not, that's not who he is. But 
he's been striking out 30-ish percent of hitters at every level, right? High A, 33.5%. Double A in 2021, 32.9%. 2022, back in double A, 35.6%. He gets up to the triple to A last year, and he struggled. He had he put up a 6.49 ERA, 4.36 FIP. Like, he was, he was not great. Still struck out 27% of hitters. Then this year, in his three starts, he struck out 34.5% of hitters in AAA. Um, the big difference for him this year is he's he's brought down the walks a bit. He walked 10.7% of hitters in AAA last year. It's down to 8.6 this year. I think he's... So I'm going to make a comp right now that I don't think is a... It's going gonna, it's gonna to set expectations wrong, but... He reminds me a little bit of of Dylan Cease, where he's he can get the strikeouts, but he puts so many guys on base. And so whether or not he avoids home runs and whether or not balls in play are landing is going to determine whether those walks are a problem or if they just, you know, slow him down on his way to good start after good start. Um, that is not to say that I think he's going to be as good as Dylan Cease. That is not a, a fair statement, right? But that, I don't want to put that expectation out there. But like that kind of that kind of profile. The thing I like this year that stands out as a change from him, other than the the slightly improved walk rate, it's still a little high for me. But he has a fifty seven point six percent ground ball rate in his fourteen and a third AAA innings. Now, given that he has faced he's faced fifty eight batters. And 20 of them have struck out and five of them have walked. So like there aren't that many balls in play to, to, to measure off of, but he hasn't typically run super high ground ball rates. If he can do that with the strikeouts and the walks, I feel a lot better about his future. But I think I, you know, my, my guess is, you know, if I'm projecting him now, it's like solid pitcher, um, a guy that the guardians will be very happy to have in the rotation for a for a long time to come, but not necessarily a fantasy stud. Fair enough. Yeah. And I mean, he's got to be better than that Gaddis guy or when I was stuck at the airport <laughs> watching Cleveland. And I got to say, I, I really like your broadcast crew. I mean, they, they, they were like sniping things. They were like, yeah, I kind of expect this to be a slider down and in. And there was a slider down and in. I'm like, who the heck is calling this game right now? Um, but anyway, I just got way sidetracked. I watched that dude Gaddis <laughs> pitch. He's junk. So I'm kind of excited about Logan Allen. I, Matt Heckman's getting too many call outs on the podcast. I feel like I, I shouldn't say his name. So we'll say, we'll call this hat Meckman. Um, he tweeted out <laughs> Logan Allen. This is why this is on April 12th. Uh, he said, Logan Allen is continually underrated because he doesn't throw 95 plus, which was definitely the first thing that caught my attention yeah, is the lack of velocity. But again, he's a lefty. Never posted a K rate below 27%, like you just brought up, Chad. Um, sparkling ERA track record, and the, the tweet just kind of praises him, and he was quote-tweeting some highlights of him. Um, and I, I liked seeing that because I'm having a hard time with prospects like Allen who are just not like top, top prospects. Like Allen's, what, the ninth prospect in Cleveland system, where I, I think so much prospect analysis because that's such a tough job to do, right? because there's so many prospects period. Like how can you be a, a, an expert on all of them that it ends up, they all just piggyback off of each other. And and you don't know, like, am I, am I reading the same thing over and over again? Because this is definitely who this player is, or is there something to this player that I should be, I should be looking at and getting excited about. So I, I think Logan Allen kind of fits that bill folks of like, don't get swept up by 
you know, the first six things you read on Twitter about this guy. Instead, do a little digging because even though he is low 90s heat, that strikeout rate looks cool. And uh, and I'm in. I'm in. Um, next little piece of news, Chad. Uh, Trevor Rogers, who's been a little bit of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde uh, this year. He, uh, bicep strain, which I, I think is good news, right? You want a strain, not a sprain, right? Cause a sprain is the ligament and a strain is just muscular. So, you know, maybe he can get back here a little bit sooner. I was definitely, when I heard forearm tightness or whatever we went down with, you know, we we're yeah. all thinking the same thing there. Um, I, I guess my question here is what are the, what are the Marlins going to do in the meantime? Because, you know, replacing Rogers, that's tough to do at this point. Replacing any pitcher is really hard to do. The good news is he wasn't really lighting up for your fantasy team, even though his last outing and a half looked like he was bouncing back a little bit. But Johnny Cueto, as far as I know, is is still on the injured list. Um, I, I Are we going to see Yuri Perez? My gut says absolutely not. He's not having a great season, and he's still super young. Like, it's it's yeah. one thing to get, you know, Fott and Logan Allen up here, but Yuri Perez, like, didn't he, like, just turn 20? So what are the Marlins doing here, and what are the fantasy implications of Trevor Rogers going down? So it'll be interesting right now. The Marlins have Sandy Alcantara, Jesus Lazardo, Edward Cabrera, and Braxton Garrett in the rotation with Rogers, Max Meyer, and Johnny Cueto on the IL. Meyer's been on the IL for a while. That's not, that's not news. Um, In the minors. I mean, all of a sudden things are kind of thin. Like if you go to roster resource, the top listed pitchers, are Sixto Sanchez, who still hasn't thrown a pitch in a competitive environment since 2020. So <laughs> that's just it, crazy. It's, it's not going to be him. Um, the last the last announcement on him was that his shoulder felt good after an extended spring training game over the weekend. That was on April 17th. So that was you know four days ago. I, I, he's just. I, I don't know. I, I suppose if he can throw an extended spring training game, he could theoretically be thrown straight into a major league game, but I don't think that's really a great idea. Um, the next pitcher listed is Daniel Castano, who has made one AAA start this year, and it was decent. Made one major league appearance of one inning, and it was um, whatever the opposite of decent is. <laughs> <laughs> he, he walked a hitter. He gave up two home runs. He allowed three runs to score and he did strike out too. So that part's good. But hey. uh, yeah, um, they have Chi Chi Gonzalez, but I don't think he's on their 40 man from what I can tell. Like, so could they end up with Madison Bumgarner? Is that, is that where this is headed? Where this is a team that we thought like, oh man, how is Braxton Garrett going to get innings? And is Edward Cabrera going to get innings? This rotation so deep. They trade Lopez. They experience a couple injuries. And now they're desperate for a fifth starter. Is this a dark horse candidate for Madison Bumgarner? You know... Not that it has any fantasy implications, right? Like, who's the heck is going to add up add Bumgarner just because he's on a terrible Marlins team? No, no, no. But I mean, if you're the Marlins and you think like we need somebody to make four starts for us over the next couple weeks while we like get our house in order. I, and the only downside is that you have to like, you know, deal, deal with Madison. With- <laughs> 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 and then, but then you get to DFAM. So I, yeah, maybe, maybe that's, that could be, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting looking at their, 
like looking at their roster, there's just not a super obvious fit, right? I mean, again, Yuri Perez would be Yuri Perez would be the guy, but like I don't know, he's been good in AAA. He's got made three starts, three point two one ERA, four point two zero FIP. He's been, I guess, he's given up a couple home runs. Like he's he's walking a few too many, but like he he's putting up like I mean, we just talked about Logan Allen. Yuri Perez in AA is putting up fewer strikeouts and more walks than Allen was in in AAA. Now, I don't think AA and AAA are that far apart in terms of talent, so I'm not sure how much of a difference that makes. But, like, I don't know. I, it seems very aggressive. And I do think, you know, Yuri Perez turned 20 a week ago. And I don't <laughs> think that that's a reason to not promote him if he was knocking down the door, but that's not what he's doing. He's pitching fine, but he's not demanding a spot. Yeah, I, I I would be shocked if they called up Yuri Perez. I know I, some people in a couple of my leagues were starting to add him just because things are thinning out there. I don't think it's going to happen. Johnny Cueto is pitching in a simulated game on Tuesday, um, and then if everything goes right, he could be back in early May, which would make all of this moot. But we're we're obviously talking super deep leagues here, and I even if they sign Madison Bumgarner, folks, we are not advising you to add Madison Bumgarner. That was just for what for it's her. worth on this topic uh, in that CBS had. In that CBS head-to-head league, I, I had Trevor Rogers, and I specifically say had because I only have three IL spots, and I cut him. I, and and to be fair, I didn't. I, I'm a, I'm a little bit annoyed at the moment because had I waited like 24 hours, um, I have Jorge Polanco, and he just came off the IL, and so I could have moved him up. But I Wednesday night was we do we do Sunday night and Wednesday night Fab, so it was like. What do I want to do? And I I decided to cut him rather than cutting a $10 Edwin Diaz or a $9 Reese Hoskins, who are both long-term stashes. So that gives you a sense of just how I feel about Rodgers. Was I was like, I, I cut him to I cut him and I cut Cal Quant. Was Quantrill my other cut? No, I can't remember. I think I cut him and Quantrill to add. Uh, Mason Miller and Kyle Bradish. Those Two guys the, I like a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, this wasn't just a like, you know, cut them for nothing. I didn't just, I didn't just dump Rogers for the sake of dumping him. Like, but I, I also had no problem deciding to move on. Yeah, I'm at that point in Listener League 2, uh, which has just been such a disaster for me with between O'Neill Cruz and drafting Joe Musgrove and all I, I, that team's been a mess. Um, now with Rodgers down, I'm considering the same thing. I'm a little excited about him. I'm going to try to hold on to him wherever I can, but I, I'd like a timeline on this bicep injury. And at this time, we do not have it. Um, this does kind of tie by, in. By the way, before... real quick, just to I, I do want to say it was not Quantrill. I dropped Kyle Muller. Not oh yeah, I kept control for now. So, but I did drop Rogers. So that's nice. That's good. Good to know. I I, I'm gonna hold on to Rogers where I can. But like I said, I need I need a timeline there. Uh, That ties in. 
yeah, that ties in nicely, right? Limited IL spots, people. It, you just got to drop, guys. Um, Bumgarner was DFA'd. So, <laughs> spoiler uh, from earlier, Madison Bumgarner got DFA'd. It was no surprise. Um, he was a disaster. I'm sure anybody listening to this saw the video of his altercation. I guess we can call it altercation with uh, Wilson Contreras, and um, which got us all excited for Brandon Fott. And then they said, nope, we're uh, putting Tommy Henry into the rotation, uh, which is a huge bummer. But apparently it's it's like a if you read what the GM uh, is, it oh, God, the name of the GM is escaping me for Arizona. If you read what he said about Fott, um, it really made it seem like they wish they could choose Fott, but it was like a, a timing issue. Um, and Brandon Fott pitched last night and he was unbelievable. He gave three hits, one walk, struck out eight over seven scoreless innings um, at triple A. And again, the, so the GM is Mike Hazen. That's right. Mike Hazen, right. He talked about basically like hot. He literally said Fod is ready to pitch in the MLB and that he's going to be there soon. And so if you've got Brandon Fod, don't be too disappointed, but it might be another week or two before you get your debut. And and I don't know, Chad, I don't know how much you know about Fod. I talked about him a bit on our episode with the other two podcasts and we did our post 350 draft. Um, and I referenced Chris, Chris Clegg's article on pitcher lists all about Brandon Fott. He retweeted that out recently, um, which I think is definitely worth the read, but is he a guy who you're like, you're definitely stashing and looking forward to, or is he not quite that highly rated of a prospect for you to invest too much into? For me, the current state of pitching I, I'm taking Brandon Fott wherever I can get him, and I'm, I'm hoping he's really good. But do you think maybe our expectations are getting a little out of whack here? I mean, I think maybe I, it's – I do have him in a handful of leagues. Mostly, I think I have like two out of new leagues or maybe three out of new leagues where I've been sitting on him. And I've gone back and forth on how long I'm willing to wait. It does sound like it's, you know, next month kind of thing. And so now I'm I'm happy to – sort of wait things out. But I also think the hype is higher on him than he necessarily deserves based on what he's done so far. Um, I I also, I, I have to wonder if part of what happened with Arizona was like, he was, he was not very good in his first start of the year. And then he was decent in his second start and third start. And it was his fourth start, which just happened yesterday, that he finally went like it was the first time he went over five innings. He went to seven. It was the first start where he didn't give up a run. It was the first start where he. um, What was I say where he didn't. uh, There's something else he didn't do in that one. Oh, it was the second start where he didn't give up a home run. The first start, he gave up four home runs. Then he gave up one in the second. Now he's gone two straight starts, like giving up a home run. Like, I, I think part of what, what may have been happening there was like, let's let him have some success at AAA. Like, let's not, you know, he, he comes to camp. He has a shot to win a rotation spot, at least in theory. He doesn't get it. And then he goes to the minors and is struggling. Like, let him have some success before he gets called up. And so I was sort of wondering if like, oh, you know, now he had that one really good start. Like, does it just take one more? Are they ready for him now? Did they just want him to like do something good? But it sounds like it's probably another couple weeks, something like that. And I, I'm willing to wait for that. I just, I'm not expecting an ace. 
Like I was way more excited about Taj Bradley getting the call. I, I like this is this is more to me in line with I don't know may, maybe it's more like Logan Allen. I like Fott better than Allen, but like it's more like that to me. Maybe I'm selling Fott a little low. Yeah, I think what makes Fott interesting is that it seems like there's no prospects like him who they're actually more known for like pitching deep into games, maintaining their velocity. Um, could give you innings like that's just not ever what you expect from a prospect so I think it makes him kind of unique and hard to evaluate but you're spot on I, there's no way I'm more excited about Brandon Fott than I am Taj Gibson and I not Taj Gibson Taj Bradley not Taj Gibson Taj Gibson Taj Gibson is he was a good prospect in his own right back in the day <laughs> yeah back when I was like a different 15 sport. in a different <laughs> sport yeah Tom Thibodeau ran him into the ground um now he did that to the rest of the team but not Taj Gibson Anyway, uh, Bradley, way more exciting. Mason Miller, maybe even more exciting just from a stuff standpoint. Um, but if you're like me and, and you've just been drowning for pitching and, and you need quality starts, especially, then I think Fott is obviously a good target. And so he's worth holding on to. But I, I agree with your initial sentiment that uh, maybe the hype has exceeded what we should really be expecting here. Uh, Chris Bubich is having Tommy John surgery, which is a huge bummer. There's all this like, oh, man, Kansas City's doing things different now. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's changed his pitch mix. And then he went down after we spent uh, a bunch of money on him in fab or in odd new leagues like me, where I spent like seven dollars on him. And, and then he was an immediate cut. So there's not much there to unpack with Chris Bubich. Any thoughts there? The Chris Bubich, Tommy John. Yeah, I, I've seen him getting cut in all of the leagues that he got picked up. And I think that's as exciting as a couple of starts of good looking stuff can be. I, I don't need to wait through a year and a half to two years for Chris. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Just not yeah no, thank you. Right. Like we had this conversation about Jeffrey Springs in last week's episode about how like, man, it's a tough call to let him go, but are you really going to wait through all of this year and possibly all of next year? And the answer is probably no. And like, if I'm not doing it for Jeffrey Springs, I'm not doing it for Chris Bubich. <laughs> Definitely not. Now uh, we're going to go over one giant return, but we'll do that when we return from a break. We'll be right back. Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. So Chad, the last piece of news here is the grand return of Fernando Tatis Jr., he, uh, you corrected the, the, the notes because he did get a hit tonight. He's, he's on the board. Yeah. He's got a hit, but he was 0 for six with three strikeouts. Not that that means anything. So Chad, I guess the, the question I have for you is pretty simple. Is Fernando Tatis Jr. Now the 
best player in fantasy baseball other than Shohei Otani in daily leagues is Fernando Tatis Jr. now, especially with shortstop and outfield eligibility, two positions that are beat up, that need help. Is he now already the best player in fantasy baseball? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, we'll see. Okay. He he certainly could be. I, I think, um, first of all, I will note, like, I think it's ridiculous that he has shortstop eligibility anywhere because he's not a shortstop. He's not going to be a shortstop. He hasn't played like he hasn't played the position in over a year. Right. It is silly to me that people were like, well, like <laughs> effectively they're a bit like he came up as a shortstop. Like that's why he has shortstop eligibility right now. And it's, it's then give Josh Donaldson catcher. Yeah, that's right. Bryce Harper <laughs> was drafted as a catcher, right? So like, he should have catcher eligibility yeah, too. give him catcher. No, <laughs> I think like it's actually one of the things um, that I think Otto New does well is, uh, yeah, you only have to start five games in a season to get eligibility, but you have to actually do it. There is no circumstance like Tatis is util only in Otto New right now. Now, in the next week or so, he will probably earn outfield eligibility, and then he will be outfield eligible in Otto New because he'll play. He'll get his five starts. He started in right field today. I think he did the same yesterday, but like. There is no world in which he should have shortstop eligibility right now. I think it's nonsense. That said, here's my thing with Tatis is he's coming off a couple of significant injuries plus a steroid suspension. He hasn't played in a long time. I am. Is it possible that he will be the best player in fantasy again, other than, you know, Otani and daily leagues other than that? Yeah, it's possible. He could still be the exact player he was when he went down. If I were drafting today for a rest of season league, he's not my first or second pick. Okay. There's just more risk involved in him then than there are in guys who are actually performing and like, and have been (laughs) and have been right. And and so, and and our, our like, you know, let, let's see him play. Let's see him play at the same level and then do it for the season. I'm, you know, that's not to say I, you should like, you know, cut him or like sell high while you can. Although I do think like, if you had him in a league where someone's like, I will give you this, like, you know, top five pick caliber player for him. I'll give you Acuna for him. Take it. I would take it. Yeah. I think so. Uh, as you know, Acuna is my number one player. So I, I'm with yeah. you on that one. I think there's been some, some uh, naturally, right. Cause it's been three and a half weeks, whatever it's been three, not even three weeks that there's been some disappointment in the first round with guys like Juan Soto and stuff. So I guess we can end Tatis with that. Would you trade? Cause you seem kind of like the low guy on Tatis, not on the talent, but just on like that. Let's, let's see it. Would you trade Fernando Tatis jr. Your Tatis jr. Straight up for someone else's Juan Soto. In a five by five. Yeah. Let's say five by five. Cause points. I know you would. Yeah. Points. I would take Soto. Um, in a five by five, I think I probably would, but that has more to do with how I view Soto than with how I view Tatis in that format. Right. Okay. Um, which is not a knock on Soto. It's just. So by would you not say, his you strongest would, format. You would not trade Tatis. I would not. I would, I would okay, probably take Tatis over Soto, but that's a tough, tough call yeah especially in a i mean 
and head to head, like Tatis has time to to warm up and, and really get going yeah. when you really need him. So uh, that makes sense. So we're going to move folks from the news. We're shifting from the news to our focus for today. Um, and Chad and I were talking, what is this episode going to be about? Um, and Chad noticed a tweet from Eno Saris of The Athletic that was hyping up his article. Uh, six players were swinging more or swinging less and why that matters. Now it's obviously behind the athletic paywall and we are not going to spoil anything from that article because you should go read it. It's awesome. It's super interesting. And I did read it. Um, and I got super into it. Um, and so I was like, no, this is a great idea. We're going to make this episode about this. And essentially the idea is that numbers, particularly plate discipline numbers, swing metrics, swing numbers are beginning to normalize, beginning to stabilize because apparently, and Eno is smarter than me, they start to stabilize around 350 pitches or 350 swings, 350 pitches takes, I guess. So not swings, but 350 pitches for hitters. That's when things begin to normalize a little bit and we start seeing less change and it's more signals than it is. Um, what was the phrasing he used? Um, I can't remember either way, 350 noise. swings, more signal, less noise, more signal, less noise, 350 pitches is when that begins to normalize. And so, uh, in this article, he talked, obviously, like the title says, about six players that uh, are interesting to him. And he included a table um, that showed the 20 players in swing rate changes who also improved their contact rate. So basically, they're either swinging more or they're swinging less, right? In this actual case, all of them but two are swinging less. They're, they're taking less swings. They're being more picky with what they're swinging at. Um, and they also showed progress uh, in their swing strike rate. So Chad and I, thinking about this idea, kicking it around, don't want to just be a repeat of what this article says. We decided to look at strikeout rate. So if you have, if, if this is where things have normalized, then maybe we can start putting more stock in the strikeout rate and start looking at specifically players who have made big improvements from last year. So we came up with the 10 uh, biggest improvers so far in strikeout rate from 2022 to 2023. And we're both going to kind of break down five each. Chad, did that pretty much summarize it? Did I miss anything there? No, I don't think you missed anything. I mean, one other thing I would note is just that um, strikeout rate, I believe, for hitters starts to stabilize at around 60 plate appearances. So the swing data that Eno was talking about was... Um, for swing rates is like, I think he's, I think it was 350 pitches. He said, mm -hmm. but I believe for strikeout rate, it's 60 plate appearances, um, which is, it's gotta be the close. cut off the cutoff. Well, it's a cutoff we set. So everyone in this data, everyone in our, that we're going to talk about today is they are the top 10 in terms of improving strikeout rate among players who had at least 60 plate appearances this season and at least a hundred last season. That was, that was basically what it came down to. Yeah. Otherwise the numbers would get, get a little skewed if we didn't draw the line somewhere and Chad, if you don't mind, I'm going to go first because one of my five, I'm just going to get out of the way. You can set a timer for 30 seconds and I'm going to explain why I don't care that Victor Robles has made the second biggest gain. In strikeout rate, he has 12.7 percentage points better in strikeout rate than he was last year. And uh, that is because I, and the reason why I'm not interested is because Victor Robles continues to swing a pool noodle 
and he has done nothing but let us down his entire major league career in terms of fantasy value. I, I know he's great with the glove. He's very quick. He's athletic. He actually hasn't been great with the glove this year, so maybe I'm off on that now. Regardless, um, I don't have a ton of interest in Victor Robles. I need to see more than just an improvement in strikeout rate. The OPS is still 698. He's still in a terrible lineup, hits towards the bottom. He has no homers. He does have three steals. Maybe that's something to monitor. Now that steals are up around the league, he's going to be someone who could steal a lot of bases. But Victor Robles is second on this list. He's made the second biggest improvement so far, and I have no interest. Yeah, I think, I mean, I generally agree. I think in five by five leagues, um, if this strikeout rate even somewhat continues, then, and he he can take a walk. Like he's been a decent, decent at taking walks throughout his career, but he's up at almost a 10% walk rate. If he keeps running, like he's at 12.9% strikeout right now, let's say it goes up to 15, 16%. He's at a 9.7% walk rate. Let's say it goes down to seven, 8%, something like that. But if he can run numbers like that, rather than the, you know, 25% type strikeout rates he's run in the past, I think he can get on base enough to steal enough bases to be valuable in five by five purely for stolen bases. I, I think that he would be a, I'll call him a one and a half category contributor because I think that he'll hit for an acceptable average if he, if he maintains that strikeout rate, right? So he won't hurt you in average he will hurt you in RBIs and in runs and in home runs, but he'll steal you. Like he's on pace for like a 30 stolen base season. If he stays in the lineup. So I, I'm, I am intrigued for, for the stolen bases, but that's it. Yeah. I, so I, I totally get that. And I'll, I'll be fair to him. I mean, look, the walk rate, especially you identified it is it shows improvement. It shows definitely a change in his approach so far. I just, there's just so not no value there for me. Like if you're, if you're really desperate for steals, like you got to be really desperate for him. He's averaging 87.9 miles an hour on fly balls and line drives. That is 0.1 better than Whit Merrifield. I, I don't think he's ever going to contribute anything outside of, Base singles and the occasional stolen singles base. and stolen bases. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get to the more exciting players. Chad, who do you got for us first off so, your, your list? I'm actually going to do something similar and start with someone where I think there's not a lot to talk about. And I don't think it's that interesting, but for a very different reason, that is the, the 10th biggest improvement in strikeout rate belongs to Xander Bogarts. He has improved his strikeout rate by 8.8% percent that's uh that's good <laughs> I, I don't have a lot else to say about it that is pretty um, good <laughs> we'll note he did strike out tonight Ooh. and so that improvement has uh decreased a bit he wouldn't be in the top 10 so that's part of the reason i'm mentioning it is he wouldn't be in the top 10 if we ran this data tomorrow instead of today that said the more important thing here is he is striking out a lot less and he's doing so because he's he's making more contact basically he's being more patient he's swinging less he's making more contact this is sort of what you're talking about with Eno's article right this is the kind of stuff he was excited about but the contact Bogarts is making right now is more or less the worst contact he's made in his career he has the lowest average exit velocity of his career the lowest max EV of his career the lowest uh, barrel rate of his career. 
and the lowest hard hit rate of his career. Because he's not striking out and because he's you know, drawing some walks, his ex-WOBA is fine. And because his batted balls are performing better than you would expect, his WOBA is better than fine. I think at the end of the day, Xander Bogarts is going to settle in to be the guy we expect him to be. I think the strikeout rate will come up a bit. Um, like I said, we're already seeing it today. I do think there's some real improvement there, but I think that there's enough of a drop-off in his batted ball quality that will also stick around that it'll sort of balance it out. And so I think, like, basically, I'm looking at all these sort of mixed signals from Xander Bogarts, and I'm like, eh, he's probably still the guy I thought he was. And that's fine. Yeah, yeah, he's one of those guys who, like, somehow just continues to defy his batted ball metrics, right? Very similar to, like, a Chris Bryant to a Nolan Arenado, where you're like, how did he hit that many home runs. Although, you know, he's not the power guy that Nolan Arenado is obviously, but he continues to hit really well. We thought it was maybe Fenway Park and he's clearly proving that's not the case. He's continuing elsewhere. So um, I, I wouldn't call, I'm not saying you use these words, but I don't think I would sell high on Xander Bogarts. I think I would see where this goes because he's just a good hitter. He's proven that throughout his entire career. Um, The name I want to talk about, one of the ones I do want to talk about, I'm pretty excited about is Cody Bellinger, um, who clearly hates the Dodgers. He has five home runs this year, and three of them are against his former club that cut him. I'm joking. I'm sure he doesn't hate the Dodgers. I'm sure he loves the Dodgers, but he has certainly made them pay in the early going uh, with three of his five homers against them. What's interesting, if you look at his pitcher list page or anything like that, his average exit velocity is way down. Um, But I don't... I, I, I'll just be honest with you folks. I don't know when exit velocity numbers normalize. Maybe Chad does. I don't know. I don't know when I can start I putting like stock in balls that. in play. I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I still, because I, I still think by the way, there's nothing wrong with looking at data before it stabilizes, right? The idea of the stabilization sure. point and, and really what it is, is it's when you get to a point where so anytime you're taking a player's, small sample data you need to basically regress that data average it with what you know them to be over a longer term or with league average and with a guy so when you're looking at a guy who things have changed this year and it's still too small a sample on something like exit velocity or hard hit rate or whatever to to be to say it's stabilized it doesn't mean there's no signal in that data. It just means that you have to be sort of cautious about how you use it. I think the challenge for us as fantasy players is if you wait until you can be confident in the data, it's too late because somebody's going to be like, he's hitting the ball harder. Maybe that'll stick around and they're going to pick him up. And so, you know, with Bellinger, I think they're, you know, you might look at like, we know this guy's done this, right? He's done it before. And so, there's reason to believe from that perspective with other guys, you look at like swing changes, right? You've talked about this with Jaron Duran, right? Like there's not enough data here to say Jaron Duran's good. What there is enough data to do is to say he made a change and things are better. Will things continue to be better? I don't know. I don't have enough data to confidently say that, but there's a combination of things here that gives me enough confidence to say, you know what? I'm going to take this bet. If it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out, but I'm going to take my shot at this. And so I think that's the important thing is like, I think there's a tendency for people to be like, that's a small sample. You should ignore it. And to me, that's not what we should be doing. Right. It's, it's, it's more of like, that's a small sample. Like 
let's look deeper. What's going on under the hood? Is there another change that you, that justifies buying into this this shift? And so that's sort of that's my 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 rant on not just ignoring samples <laughs> because they're too small. And in, in many ways, I share those similar sentiments with spring training, right? Um, it's a little bit different yeah. because those numbers are often not against major league caliber pitching, which obviously matters for hitters. Um, and the same could be said for pitchers. Oftentimes, the numbers aren't necessarily against major league caliber hitters, but it's it's sort of the same thing, right? Um, in Bellinger's case, I'm starting to get really excited. I mean, you, you brought it up. This is a guy who's done it before, which is why we can put a little bit more stock into it. Um, and if we go down memory lane a little bit here, and look at swinging strike rate. Uh, when he won the MVP award in 2019, that swing strike rate was nine and a half percent. I want you to remember that m- number nine and a half percent in 2020, the shortened season in like 56 games or so he had 12 homers, six deals. That swing strike rate was at 10%. So it went up a little bit. He regressed a little bit. He had 239 that shortened season, but whatever it was 2020. And then he fell off the face of earth, right? Um, he couldn't, he couldn't get it back. He changed his swing or whatever people got upset with. I think he did that actually after his MVP year going into 2020. And then things really went downhill where in 2021, his swing strike rate strike rate was 14.2%. And that only went down to 12% last year. Where is it right now? It's at 9.1%. It's better than it was in 2019. So I brought up the average exit velocity being low and and sample size and all that stuff because it is currently low by his standards. It's at 87.3. But if that does begin to go back towards his career average of 90 miles an hour, and you combine that with the gains he's made in his swing strike rate, now I'm getting a little bit excited. You look at his swing rate, that's down a little bit. He's being he's it's down by 1.8 percentage points. He's being a little bit more picky at the plate and his contact rate is up a full 5 percentage points. It was 76% last season. It's up to 81% this year. He's making more contact. He's swinging and missing less, which is what making more contact is. He's in a new environment. He's got a chance to refresh himself. And this is a former MVP Chad who is still only 27 years old. I'm starting to get yeah. excited again. So I am also starting to get a little excited, but I'm going to, I'm going to push back a little bit. And, and here's why his chase rate. So one of the big changes for him when things went South was he started to chase more, right? That MV, 2019 season is chase rate. O swing 26.8%. 2020, when he fell off quite a bit, but was still solid, it went up to 29.9%. Then it went up to 352 and 345 the last two years. It's down, but it's only down to 30.7, which is still significantly higher than it was in 2019 or for most of his career in the good part of his career. Um, his zone swing is down from the last couple of years. But again, still sort of in line with where he was in 2019. It's a little bit lower than where he was in 2019. I'm not going to ding him too much for that. But what it does mean is he is swinging you know, ever so slightly less at pitches he should swing at and, and swinging more at pitches he shouldn't versus when he was at his best. Those gains in contact rate are almost entirely concentrated on pitches outside the zone. So his in-zone contact rate went from 80.9% to 81.8, so less than a one percentage point gain. His O contact rate from 68.6 to 79.6. 
so what I what I see here is yes, swing strike rate is down, but that's because he's making contact on bad pitches he should be taking for balls anyways. And it wouldn't surprise me if that has a lot to do with what is right now a career low exit velocity and a career low hard hit rate. Right? Because Exit velocity, just sort of by definition, strikeouts don't have an exit velocity. And hard hit rate, because of how StatCast calculates it, is like a pit, I, 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 an, an at bat in which you would which you would have struck out, but instead you hit a weak grounder, hurts your hard hit rate. Whereas if you had just struck out, it wouldn't have hurt your hard hit rate, which is weird. Um and there are stats out there, by the way, that do a better job of accounting for that. But that's that's the issue right there. My point is that I think he's making more bad contact because he's making more contact he shouldn't be making. And it's unclear to me what like what will happen if he gets more patient again. Actually, I shouldn't say it. If he gets more patient again, that would be good. What is unclear to me is what happens if he doesn't get more patient and his O contact starts to drop again, and he you know, stops making contact with those pitches out of the zone, his contact quality data will look better, but he'll end up striking out a bunch more than he is right now. I think that he... The reason, though, that I started this by saying I'm also starting to get excited is I do think he's bounced back. I just don't think he's bounced back to... Like, right now, he has a 380 Woba. Uh, I, I will take the under on that for the rest of the season. And that's like, you know, his bat pip is 296. His home run per fly ball rate is 13.3%. Those are both going into play on Friday. And he did have a couple of hits, including a home run on Friday. So they've probably both gone up. Uh, yeah, bat pip's up to 298, the home run per fly ball rate. I'm not sure what would have gone up a little bit. Like, But neither of those are inflated, right? Neither of those, you're not looking at either of those and being like, oh, 298 bat pip. No way he can sustain that, right? Like, But I'm still taking the under on where he is right now. I just don't think that, I think I don't think that the improvements he's made. I get. Uh, let's put it this way: I don't think that the ability to make contact on pitches outside the zone is something that you improve without also improving your ability to make contact overall. And the fact that his contact inside the zone isn't really getting better suggests to me that the fact that he's made a bunch of contact with pitches outside the zone is just noise. And so I'm more. I think that's going to settle back down. And so my overall take on Bellinger is nobody believes he's going to go back to being 2019 Bellinger. So I'm not going to tell you like, oh, if you can trade him like he's the MVP, you should do it. Of course you should. No one believes that. But if you think, you know, if you've got someone who's like, I think he's back to where he was, let's say, you know, 2017 is rookie year through 2020, the first sort of half down year before things got really bad. He was a 375 Woba. Like I said, he's got a 380 this year so far. If you have somebody who's like, I think he's, you know, I think he's put 2021 and 2022 behind him and he's back to the guy he was before that. And you could trade that value, I would. Now, if you can get him from someone who's like, Cody Bellinger sucks, the bottom's going to fall out, go get him. But I, I think he's more like a 330 to 340 Woba guy than the 380 guy he is he's putting up right now. 
Yeah, all that's fair. I mean, I I kind of take a positive spin on the uh, he is making more contact out of the zone that is going to have a negative impact on the exit velocity and all that's true. But I I still look at the chase rate and I see that it's gone down and it's it's not quite at where it was in 2019, but it is noticeably less than it was the last two years where he was pressing pretty hard. Um, so if he's pressing less and he's just returning to what he knows, that's giving me a little bit of confidence. I will say no matter what in your five by five leagues, when you're looking at Cody Bellinger and you're like, man, he's even hitting 300. That will not stick for one reason or another. If the K's come back, it won't stick. But this is a guy who hits 73% of his balls in the air for his career. He is just not going to maintain a batting average in the 300 range. That's enough on Cody Bellinger though. Chad, let's jump to your next guy on your list we're not really going in any kind of order here folks by the way i don't know if we said it or not but bellinger was the third biggest gainer like chad said that may have changed tonight i don't know when we made this list he was the third who do you got next on your list chad i'm gonna jump right to the top of the list we've been going out of order but let's go to the guy who's made the biggest gains because i think he's sort of a interesting case uh key brian hayes so Hayes has gained, has made a 13.5% improvement in his K rate. That's, that's huge, right? That's like, yeah, I, like 13.5% is, 13.5% is such a good improvement that no matter where he started from, he's pretty decent now. Now he actually didn't even start that high. He was at 21.8% last year. So getting all the way down to 8.3%. He, by the way, on Friday went 0 for 4, but did not strike out. So he's he's now up to a 13.8% improvement in his strikeout rate. He is also hitting fly balls more than ever. 37.7% fly ball rate. His launch angle is up to 13.1. It's 5.2 for his career, was 5.2 last year. So I think there is an, an instinct here to look at this and be like, He isn't striking out. He's elevating the ball. This is it. This is the thing we've been wanting him to do. And I'm not convinced. So his exit velocity is up. His hard hit rate is up. His launch angle is up. Here's my concern. His pull rate is steady. It's not up. His issue has not been simply that he needs to elevate the ball more. His issue has been... He does a terrible job of pulling fly balls when he either pulls the ball on the ground or elevates it in the air or sorry, elevates it the other way. Elevated in the air is that's what that means. Uh, Yeah. So he either pulls the ball on the ground or elevates it the other way. This year, he has hit three pulled fly balls. One of them was an infield fly ball. None of them were hard hit. And... I think people are going to talk about the launch angle. They're going to see the K rate. Even his XWOBA looks pretty good, but keep in mind that XWOBA does not account for things like direction of the ball. It doesn't account for what's pulled versus not. As long as his hard contact is on the ground or the other way in the air, I, I'm still going to be concerned. So I think there's some positives here. He's doing things to move the right direction. And... I'm not ready to cut bait despite the poor performance so far this year because there's progress being made here. But I want to see him turn on a fly ball with authority. And I want, then I want to see him do that consistently 
because that's the thing that's been missing. It's not just hitting more fly balls. He's got to pull them. He's got to show that he can get to some pull side power because he is not as, as good as his exit velocities and stuff are. He is not strong enough to be a legit power threat if he's always going the other way. No, for sure. I mean, and you brought up the pull percentage has been steady and that's, that's being kind of generous. This would be his worst season in terms of pull rate. He's just at a 20% pull rate for some context. The league average pull rate is 36.8% for hitters. So he is well below that. And I, I wouldn't even get thrown off by the amount of balls he's hitting in the air because he essentially doubled his uh, pop-up rate, which last year was at 5.7%. This year it's at 10%, which might suggest he's a little out of whack. I like the player and he's going to play no matter what, because he's so talented over there at third base. So with those exit velocities and, and with the play time at some point, maybe he does figure it out. Um, but for, especially for this exercise, he's a guy who we didn't really have strikeout concerns about anyway. So the fact that he's made this like great gain is like, I mean, that could be cool, but it's, it's not as cool as it would for. be. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. So before we get into uh, my next player in this list, we're going to take our second break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. Keeper Cut Podcast, breaking down the biggest gainers in terms of strikeout rate so far in the 2023 season when compared to 2022. Uh, so far, we've talked about four names. We've talked about Victor Robles, Cody Bellinger, Brian Hayes, and Xander Bogarts. Um, my next one is is one that I really wanted to talk about. He's basically the reason why I wanted to do this, and that's Nolan Gorman, who I'm like trying to convince myself is breaking out. Uh, now, We'll start off with the gain. I mean, he's ninth on this list. He's he's nine percentage points gain. It was a nine percentage point gain for Nolan Gorman going into tonight's games. Um, for another guy on my list, that's actually not saying that much. He was because he three with two strikeouts tonight. Oh God! <laughs> so he'd probably already be off this list. Um, and to begin with, it's actually not saying that much because last year he had a ridiculous strikeout rate of thirty three percent. But to get that down to twenty four percent, you know, I mean, that's that's huge. We'll take that uh, no matter what. Um, some stats on. On Gorman, uh, his swing rate went down uh, or has gone down. He's been a little bit more selective at the plate last year. He swung at 50.8% of offerings this year. So far, he's at 46.5. Again, that's going into tonight's games. Um, and something that definitely stood out to me is his chase rate. O swing on fan graphs, chase rate on stack cast was 34.2% last season. Right now, it's at 248 That's almost a 10 percentage point uh, drop better chase rate, uh, which is huge for Nolan Gorman. And so I did a little digging. I want to see like what brought about this change. And I came across this MLB.com article from John Denton. It was written in February uh, titled Gorman adjusting swing to hit elevated fastballs, something that he really struggled with last year, which not to bring him up again, but that was something that Jaron Duran had to address this year is the ability to hit the high fastballs. Um, and Cardinals manager Oliver Marmol said mechanically the swing is flatter. That helps him at the top of the zone and being able to get at the fastball that's up. It's different than last year when he kind of had that uphill move where he was collapsing and coming up through the zone. The article went on to uh, get some quotes from Gorman who talked about how much better he feels at the plate and how the offseason is all about putting in work and getting better. And this was a guy who was a top prospect. So we're hearing his manager acknowledging the mechanical changes. We're getting something legit and we're looking at the early returns and under the hood and the car itself looks really good. The results have been there. The underlying numbers have been there. And I'm getting really excited about Nolan Gorman. That final stat swing strike rate, that oh so important one last year was 16%. That's horrendous. This year it's at 12.3%. It's still worse 
the league average, which is right at 11, but it's much closer. And when you have the batted ball data, the the hard hits that Nolan Gorman has, I think you could be pretty good with a 12.3% swing strike rate. So Gorman has me excited. I think he's, I think he's breaking out, Chad. Yeah, I, I think he might be too. I, I do think, you know, the, the small sample size thing we talked about before, like part of what you're seeing here is, you know, he had two strikeouts tonight and therefore his strikeout rate is up to 25.7% and he'd only be a 7% gain. He'd be off this list. Like Ugh. that happens when we're, when we're this early, but to your point, there's changes that were made, right? There were real adjustments being made. And I think that that gives me a little bit more reason to want to buy in than if it were just right. If it were just like, you know, boy, if he strikes out four times in the next two days, he's going to, have a worse strikeout rate than he did last year. Like that's not enough to get excited about. Right. But the combination of that with some real changes is that's intriguing. And we knew, we always knew he could hit the ball hard. Like we always knew that if he was, if he could put the bat on the ball, he could be successful. He doesn't have to put the bat on the ball every time he can live with a high strikeout rate. It just can't be what it was. And I, I think he's made real strides. So Gorman on that list, like we said, was ninth. Chad, who do you got next on yours? Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Shea Langoliers. Why not? So Langoliers, catcher for the Athletics, the maybe Las Vegas Athletics, I guess. I don't know what we're supposed yeah. to call them now, but uh, still Oakland for he, now. Yeah, still Oakland for now. He is seventh on that list. He has a nine point six percent improvement in his strikeout rate. Um, He's been more patient. He's been making more contact, both good things, right? Again, this gets back to the, you know, what Eno was looking at. Um, I kind of think when you look at his numbers, this is just a young guy who's adjusting to major league baseball. Like his strikeout rate last year was, let me see, 34.6%. much like Gorman, he struck out twice today. So it's not quite as big an improvement as it looked. It's up to 26.6%, but still an 8% improvement even after that. But in the minors, he mostly had strikeouts in the mid-20s. 21, like, except for a very brief 14-plate appearance stint in AAA in 2021, every stop he was between 21 and 26%, basically. So I really think last year's 34.6 was just sort of a, a rookie taking his lumps. And what we're seeing from him this year is probably more of a reflection of who he really is. My guess is that part of the reason he's more patient is he like last year he came up, Sean Murphy was still there. It was unclear what his role would be short-term or long-term now. Like they traded Murphy and they made Langoliers their catcher. He is their catcher and he is going to be their catcher for the foreseeable future. And I think he's just more comfortable. And I think that like that all seems positive. Um, he is hitting a ton of fly balls, a 56.1% fly ball rate. That is, that's a lot. That'll lead to some home runs, which is good. It'll also lead to a low BAPIP, um, which is particularly concerning for a guy who plays for still Oakland because that park is just a terrible, terrible place to hit. Uh, one interesting thing from a keeper league perspective is if we get a sense of a timeline on Oakland moving, 
it they would be immediately moving to the second highest elevation park in baseball. Now, there's literally just a plot of land right now. We have no idea what kind of stadium they're going to build. I am going to go out on a limb and guess right now that that will be a hitter-friendly park, at least a power-friendly park. And so there is some intrigue there. Now, the reality is they bought land. If they if they break ground tomorrow, which they're not going to do, they're probably still not ready to move there for next season, which is going to make this whole process super ugly because they may be playing in Oakland for a while. And yeah, but I do think it is worth keeping in mind with any Oakland players who you think have a future. And there's some that do there's a bunch that don't, but there's some that do, but there is a good chance that in the near future, semi near future, they end up playing in a very different environment than they're playing in right now. That said, back to Langoliers today. His underlying contact quality is just his exit velocity is low. His launch angle is high, but it it's almost it's almost too high. There's a lot of pop-ups there have been last year and this year. His barrel rate is kind of fine, but his hard hit rate is low. I don't know, like He's running a 326 Woba right now. He has a 277X Woba. That that sort of summarizes, you know, the issue that I'm seeing. And I don't know. I, I kind of think like 326 Woba for a catcher is, is pretty good. And so there's part of me that thinks that Langoliers is a sell high, that the strikeout rate improvement is why he is settling in as a solid catcher rather than some sign of a breakout to come. And the, the challenge I have is I'm not sure his trade value is that high. I don't hear people talking about him. I don't hear people like clamoring to go get him. He isn't like, so I sort of think where I have him, I'm just going to ride this out and see how it goes. Like he has a 55 grade in his raw power on fan graphs. Like maybe he grows into a little more pop as he gets more and more comfortable and is able to hit more often. I'm not expecting that. And so I'm not anxious to go out and pick him up, but if I've got him, I think at this point, I'm just sort of riding this out and seeing where it goes. Yeah. I, I, I agree with all that. I, I don't think there's any place. Cause even if, if you're in a two catcher league, then like, yeah, people are going to be interested, but you probably need him in a two catcher league. So you're, you're not trading him. Um, I, I have nothing really to add on Longoliers. I just, I don't know if I've ever seen a guy pull the ball as much as, as he does, um, which is wild. I mean, he, he, I checked the minor league numbers and it's consistent with what he's done so far in the majors. He had a 54.9% pull rate last season, 56.1 so far this year. Kind of reminds me of like, I I don't know, Cal Raleigh uh, who doesn't pull the ball as much, doesn't hit the ball in the air as much, but that's kind of what he's known for might strike out a lot um, and bat for a low batting average, but should add a lot of pop. Um, we're down. I missed how big that pull rate was. And I, I, now I'm sort of, I'm a little bit more intrigued than I was because I do think you can overperform your batted ball quality if you're consistently pulling it. So that's, that is intriguing, especially if you end up in a place that has high altitude eventually. So he could be, he could be a target there. Um, 
We're down to our final four. We're up against the clock. I'm going to try to be quick. Josh Young was fifth on this list. And one of the first things I said to Chad when I saw him on there is he really didn't need to improve that much to improve upon a 38.2 strikeout rate last season. He did. Imp- he has improved it so far to a 27.4. I'll just reiterate um, what I talked about in the offseason. And that was that this guy was like, he tore his shoulder off, had surgery, and then spent like 15 minutes in the minor leagues and was brought up to the major leagues. And one thing that he didn't do last year that he is doing this year is actually take a walk. Um, So Josh Young last season, 3.9% walk rate um, in the major leagues. Right now he's at 8.2. So he's not only improved the strikeout rate that has coincided with a better ability to get on base. He's already exceeded his max EV from last season. If you look under the hood, things don't look so terrific. Um, But I think that's just, this is a young guy who still does not have even anything close to a full year's experience in the major leagues. And so he's adjusting. It's going to be difficult to draw any kind of conclusions, but I would remind people that this was a top prospect. He's just 25 years old and there is a lot of thunder in that bat. And I like the lineup, which was something I talked about before the season as well. So Josh Young, a big gainer in strikeout rate, uh, but he didn't, again, he hasn't, he didn't really have to do that much to improve. Any thoughts on Josh Young here, Chad? I'm not going to say a ton because I, I do want to keep us moving through these last four, but I will note that we are obviously uh, jinxing all these guys because <laughs> oh, no, Josh what did Young, he do? <laughs> one for four, but three, three strikeouts. strikeouts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and that, that takes me immediately into my next guy who is William Contreras. He was fourth on the list with an 11.3% improvement in his strikeout rate. William Contreras tonight, uh, he's he's doing everything he can to make me look bad because he not only got two strikeouts, but he had a double. And one of my comments on him here was that he only has two extra base hits on the year. So he was like, <laughs> oh, he's got three. you think I improved my strikeout rate and stopped hitting extra base hits? Guess what? Yeah, but he improved it by Will- 50% in one night. That's that's something. <laughs> yeah. So, William Contreras chased less every year of his career. And that that continued. Now, part of that is, you know, he only had 10 plate appearances in 2020, but still 47.4% chase rate, down to 35.6 in 2021, down to 30.8 last year, down to 26.8 so far this year really good sign, right? He's getting more patient. He's getting more comfortable. He's getting a better read on pitchers. All good. He, he's had a sort of a weird batted ball season where he has a really high BAPIP. Uh, after today's game, his BAPIP is up to 400, but he has a really low home run per fly ball rate. It's, it's zero because he has yet to hit a home run this year. Oh, wow. So, you know, you look at it and you're like, okay, well, his home run for fly ball rate is going to go up and his bat is going to go down. And like, who knows how this stuff's going to move around. And going into the play today, he had a 340 Woba and a 340 X Woba. So it sort of all balances out, I guess, so far. Um, I've actually been a little bit worried. So from a fantasy perspective, Contreras actually hasn't been very good because he he doesn't steal bases. He hasn't hit a home run. And because he's not getting a lot of extra base hits, like he scored a run today. He now has three runs and four RBIs on the year. Right. So he, is, he is 
Yeah, he is well on his way to a zero home run, zero stolen base, 30 run, 40 RBI type season, um, despite the fact that he has a 340 Woba. So suffice it to say, that's not all going to keep going that way. He's probably going to get more runs and RBIs. He's probably going to hit some home runs at some point. Probably not going to steal bases. But he's actually been really bad from a fantasy perspective. And so like the, you know, in my CBS league where I have him, I've been sort of frustrated and like, I don't even know if I want to keep him around. I almost dropped him for Logan Ohapi. Um, Ohapi just went on the IL. And so I'm glad I didn't make that change. But like, that's sort of where I am. Is like, I think if, if Ohapi were healthy, I think I'd rather have him at this point. I, yeah. I'd make that same switch. Um, yeah. I, I, I was in on Ohapi as well. I was a little late to that train. Uh, I, I mean, I was going to say, I'm not ready to completely give up on William Contreras because obviously we are still so early in the season, but yeah, to yeah. this point, he has hurt you, right? He's 31st on ESPN's player Raider among catchers, 31st yeah. among catchers. <laughs> That's below, yeah. uh, for example, Sebi Zavala, who's the backup catcher for the White Sox. So I, I guess my advice for folks would be don't wait to make a change at catcher. Um, it, it's fine if you have to ride the hot hand. It's been a weird position this year. Yeah, and I just, I, I think, I, I look at Contreras, and as good as he was last year, he sort of outperformed his batted ball metrics. And, like, I, I still think that when push comes to shove, and, and by the way, for auto new leagues, for points leagues, he's been fine. Like, he's been very good in that format because he's hitting well, thanks to this high BAPIP, despite the low home run per fly ball rate. Like, I think that stuff will level out. Um, I just, he's not doing anything right, right now. And I'm a little concerned from that standpoint, especially because his batted ball metrics are, are down. His eggs velocity is down. His barrel rates down. His hard hit rate is down a little bit. Um, I just, I've got, I don't know. I'm not making a move yet. I would have for Ohapi, right? I, but that's because I believe in Ohapi long term, and I thought it was a worthwhile change to make. I'm not, I'm not dumping him just to dump him. The reality is, catcher is a terrible position, and if I drop him, I'm going to get someone terrible anyway. So I might as well take the terrible guy who might be good, um, and see how it goes. <laughs> that is the conversation that fantasy managers have been having with themselves about catcher for at least as long as I've been playing. So. Uh, I don't blame you there. It, it is worth noting on a positive note here. The reason we're talking about William Contreras, folks, he is he made a huge gain in strikeout rate tonight. He pushed it back a little bit, but he so far has made a huge gain. The last player so I'm going to talk you get ready to talk about your last yeah. guy. I will just I'll just jump in now and let you know he was one for four with two strikeouts today. <laughs> wow. We jinxed every player in this list, every <laughs> really player, in the, which I can't afford to do because I roster several of these guys. Um, but <laughs> Jared Kelnick, I, maybe I'm just I'm just a fool for this exercise. I'm getting really excited about Jared Kelnick. I know a lot of people are as well. I want to start with the the most glaring statistic to me. I love looking at swing strike rate. I think it's such an important statistic. His swinging strike rate right now is nine point two percent. Not only is that way below league average, which is a good thing. You want it if you're a hitter. You want to be below league average when it comes to swing strike rate. But like he, we all know how good he was in the minor leagues. He barely posted this number in the minor leagues. He really didn't. I mean, in 2021, how many 
plate appearance did he get at AAA in 2021? So in 143 2021 AAA plate appearances, he did beat this number. Uh, he was untouchable for those 143 plate appearances. And then in 200 plate appearances in 2018, we got to go all the way back to when the Red Sox were World Series contenders to <laughs> to see a, a str- swing strike happened? rate. Hey, we that. we like won in 2018. History. Man. <laughs> uh, okay, Guardians fan, but at the, <laughs> sa- <laughs> at the same enough. time, you you got to do a whole history lesson to find Kelnick's swing strike rate to be this low. Um, the the advanced numbers look awesome for him. His average exit velocity right now is 92.2 miles per hour. Um, he has a max EV of 111.7. His hard hit rate, his hard contact rate, all that stuff is is off the charts. His expected batting average of 313 backs up the 310 that he's posted. So what he has done to this point has been real. It just has been. You, you can't dispute it. It looks good. It's an OPS of almost 1,000. And when you look at that strikeout rate, which is the purpose of this exercise, it was 33.7% last year, which is terrible. It's 24.6% right now, which is definitely stomachable and for a guy who is 23 years old there's still a lot of room for improvement he's still taking walks which he's always done even in his as we know atrocious major league experience um he's hitting the ball in the air he's got an above league average fly ball rate he's got an above league average pull rate i i can't find a reason other than just how disappointing he's been to not be super excited about jared kelnick so far this season so um, he's my last one for this exercise. I'm really eager. I want to get some Kelnick shares. The only place I have him, of course, is a gladiator league where like the rest of my team is like it's like out for the season, so it doesn't even matter. Um, <laughs> but Chad, are you excited about Kelnick or am I am I am I off base here? No, I'm with you on Kelnick. I, I I'm excited about him. And I, I think being in Seattle and going to a decent number of Mariners games, I've been to a couple already this year, and like he he looks different. He just, he looks more confident, more comfortable. He looks, it seems weird to say, cause like, you know, major league players are all confident and comfortable, but like there were times where I'd watch him last year in the past where you just like, you sort of like, go give him a hug. You're like, it's okay. <laughs> You're doing so fine. <laughs> um, and that, that's not happening anymore. So <laughs> I think that's a, I think it's a good sign. Uh, so that's, that's where I am with him. I, I'm, I, I am impressed. So. We can jump to my last guy who also went over four with two strikeouts today. <laughs> so it's just, it's all of them, huh? Um, Jesus. So JD Davis, JD Davis swinging more and making more contact. Good life lesson. If you put everything in play, swing at everything, hit everything, you'll never strike out. So uh, that's, that's what JD Davis is attempting. His swing rate is up five percentage points from 51.3 to 56.1. His contact rate is up from 65% to 72.1%. It's those numbers are. And that's true for him in the zone, out of the zone. He's swinging more in the zone. He's swinging more out of the zone. He's making more contact in the zone. He's making more contact out of the zone. Like, great. His swinging strike rate is still 15.6%. And it's still 15.6% because he is swinging at everything. So even if you make more contact, if you swing at every pitch, you're <laughs> going to miss some of them. And that is what's what's happening to him. But 
His strikeout rate, which has been up over 32, 33% the last couple of years, is down below 25% this year. The challenge is, again, because he's swinging at everything, his walk rate, which has always been an important part of his offense, is down to 4.8%. So it's way down from, you know, it's, it, his career mark is 9.9%. So he, he's not walking at all. Um, that is That is a little concerning, and it makes him more dependent on what happens when he makes contact. And right now, what's happening when he makes contact is only good things. And that won't continue to be the case. His home run per fly ball rate, uh, again, going into play on Friday, his home run per fly ball rate was 50%. His bat pip was 375. Every other fly ball is a home run. Every that, other fly ball. It's the dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those numbers aren't going to continue. I will point out that he does have a 346 career BAPIP. And his career at this point of, you know, 1,500 plate appearances starts to be enough where you're like, you know what? I think he's going to keep carrying a high BAPIP. Like, I just think that's who he is. Um, but it's not 375 high. It's, I, I, would, I would even bet that 346. Like, if you give me his, you know, over under is his career number of 346. I'll take the under on that. But I don't think it's going to go all the way down to like 300. I think it'll be 330, somewhere around there. Uh, so I do think he'll carry a high bat pip. I do think he can carry a, a relatively high home run fly ball rate, not 50%. That's that's just not a thing that's going to continue. And so where I come out on all this with, with all the swinging and the strikeout improvements, but the loss and walks and the, the really good batted ball luck so far. And I just sort of think he's still the guy he's been the last few years, which seems like a weird thing to say because I feel like he was like a really hot fantasy guy for a while. And then he wasn't. And, but his last, let's see, going, you know, 2019, the rabbit ball year, he had a 373 Woba, 339 in 2020, 357 in 2021, 333 in 2022. If I take those four years combined, it's a 353 Woba. I think that's just, you know, maybe a little high for him. Maybe he's more like a 340 at this point, but like, I think it's kind of who he is. I think it's kind of who he's going to be. Um, figure, you know, 20-ish home runs, a decent, acceptable average. Uh, he should be hitting in pretty good spots in the lineup. He's already got seven runs and 13 RBI, like, I think he can keep putting those up. He's not going to steal you any bases. I, I think the big thing for him is that right now he's playing every day. He'd been sort of in platoons and weird matchup stuff. And like, he's playing basically every day. And I think he can hit against anyone they want to let him hit against. And so I think that's where the big gain in his value is. And that to me makes him a bit of a buy low. Because I think if you can go out and get him from someone who's like, oh, I picked him up as a really good platoon bat because I think he can bounce back and be a good platoon bat again. I actually think he's more than that. I think he's a very solid everyday guy. So, so let, let's let's end this then with some some little ranking, Chad. So let's say uh, my team's desperate for starting pitching help. So I just say, forget it. I'm going to trade my Nolan Arenado for Sandy Alcantara. And now I have a third base issue. Rank these four third basemen for me so I know who to add. Uh, let's say J.D. Davis, 
Brian Anderson of the Brewers, Spencer Steer of the Reds, and Ryan McMahon of the Rockies. I don't know if he has third base eligibility everywhere. I don't know where he's playing right now, but uh, he has it on ESPN. So we said McMahon, Steer, Davis. Anderson. Who's the fourth? Oh, Brian Anderson. Boy. Um, that's a really challenging one because they all have pretty obvious warts and concerns. I, I think... I mean... It may depend a little bit on whether you're in a, like a daily or a weekly league. Cause like McMahon with the cores effect is obviously more valuable where you can bounce sure. in and out of your lineup. It depends on the depth of your league, blah, 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 blah. Like there's, so I, I think I would say I would take Davis of that group. Okay. Um, but I am sure there's somebody out there who will tell me that McMahon is the right answer. Well, so far on ESPN's Player Raider, which again, you know, take with a grain of salt, McMahon's last of that group. Obviously, Brian Anderson had that crazy stretch of like four games, which is enough to to put him first. Um, but I think it's an interesting question. McMahon did hit a home run on the road either today or yesterday. I can't remember when that was, um, but it is definitely an interesting group of four there. Um, I think all the other names around them, I'm either definitely taking over them or I'm not taking over them like Taylor walls. I'd rather have all those other four guys, but then yeah. it's names like Josh young, Josh Rojas, um, Eugenio Suarez. I think I'd take those guys over those four. Yeah, I think so. So that's, that's an interesting way to end it. Nice little ranking of third base. There a position that's uh, I thought was going to be a disaster instead has been really nice folks. Please make sure you give us a follow at, at keep or cut. Give us those ratings, reviews, all that stuff. Follow chat at, at Chad young. You can follow me at, at Pete B baseball. This is maybe our longest episode ever. I don't know. Chad's yawning. I'm definitely yawning. Um, so we will see you next Wednesday. Wednesday.